We said I hope on your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Oh boy, forgot I got my mask on. Let me take my mask off. Hello, everyone out there in TV land. Hello, everybody in Strong Tower Bible Church. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Pastor Jerry, uh, the Bible does say, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase. Is that right? Is that Proverbs chapter 3? So, does a stimulus check count as increase? Because uh, I know some people that love Jesus. They, they, they love him. <laughs> but... <laughs> He's not getting any of that stimulus. You understand what I'm saying? No, 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 no. I just like to mess with y'all. That's just part of my job. That's what I do. Amen. Well, by the grace of God, you are looking at a man who is fully vaccinated. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I hope that uh, you will be able, if you have not done so, that you will be able to be vaccinated. The president is hoping that Everyone in the country, at least the vast majority, will be vaccinated by Independence Day, July 4th. So that would be great. Um, so, but continue to pray because there are people still gathering in clusters and uh, we're not all the way where we need to be just yet. And so let's pray for our nation that we can get healthy together. Also, today, the 21st of March, just so happens to be World Down Syndrome Day. And the 21st represents um, our wonderful family members who have an extra chromosome, a 21st chromosome that makes them wonderfully unique and different. And my nephew uh, in Boston, Josiah, uh, who was the inspiration behind my wife's book, uh, uh, Thoughtful, Thoughtful, uh, uh, and so today, because we're celebrating the wonderful difference, differences in which God has made us and our brothers and sisters with the extra chromosome, we're wearing different socks today. So that's part of what they do. My wife and I, we're wearing different colored socks to honor those with the extra chromosome. Amen. So if you see me, y'all know I try to stay fashion coordinated. I try to coordinate, but, uh, but I'm off today in honor of my nephew and others who have the extra chromosome. Amen. Amen. Soon we will be able to say, turn to your neighbor. Pretty soon we'll be able to say, go hug your neighbor. But not today. Not today. Y'all are nice and distanced out there. Amen. Amen. It's good to see y'all. It's good to see y'all. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, and we will begin in verse 51 today. Amen. Let me pray for us. Yes, Lord, we, we set our hope on you. We set our hope on your love. Where would we be had you not loved us first? Where would we be had you not demonstrated your love for us by going to the cross 
to be butchered and crushed and bruised and bludgeoned for our sins in our place. Where, my God, where would we be? Where would we be if you didn't give us your Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to bear witness with our human spirits that we are sons and daughters of God? Where would we be without your grace, without your mercy, without your compassion, without your attention to us? You tell us that you know about every bird that's in the air. How much more do you know about us? You know about every hair that's on our head. You're a good father. You're the only true, wise, and living God. And we're so honored to have been adopted by you. We're so blessed to be accepted by you today. And we're so thankful to have a copy of the Bible, your word to us in written form. Yes, we can look at creation and know that you are real. But we thank you that we can look into the Bible and see that you are true. You are the truth. Lord, would you speak truth to us today in a culture, in a world that doesn't really want truth? Especially not objective truth. Relative truth is the order of the day. As people talk about my truth and your truth, rarely do we talk about God's truth where you said, let God be true and every man a liar. So God, may your word speak today through me, in spite of me. Help me to teach. Help me to preach. Help your people to hear. Help us all to do. For those who are watching, Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts wherever they are and give them what they need. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask it all. Amen and amen. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51. The New King James Version of the Bible reads as follows. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I call your attention to verse 55 when Jesus asks, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of, to entitle the message today, what kind of spirit is that? What kind of spirit is that? Well, I need you to incarnate with me for a moment. And I need for us to place ourselves in the sandals 
of Jesus. I need for us to think about what he may have been feeling when this particular scripture occurred. Let, let us put ourselves in his sandals and imagine momentarily what he may have been feeling and what he was going through. You see, Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, and he was heading there to die. And not only to die, but to die a violent death. So the Bible says three times in this passage that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he made up his mind. He was determined. He was focused. He would not be deterred. He would not be distracted. He was zeroed in on his mission to save the world from sin, to die on the cross. So he's heading to Jerusalem, possibly for the last time, and he tells his disciples once more what's about to happen. He says that in verse 44, and he says, I want my words to sink deep down into your ears that the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. For three and a half years, he had been talking to them about this particular moment and season and time, and now it has come upon them. And he says to them one more time, I'm going to Jerusalem where I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to Jerusalem where they're going to kill me, but I will also rise from the dead. Put yourself in Jesus' sandals as he's talking to his men about his final days on earth. And the Bible says that after he tells them this weighted news that they had the audacity to begin arguing about which one of them would be the greatest. And so they began to turn the spotlight and the microscope onto themselves after their Lord had said, I'm about to die. And they're arguing about which one will be the greatest or which one will take his place which one will be the center of attention and the focus of attraction. Because earlier in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up to the mountain where he was transfigured before them. And they saw Moses and Elijah. And Peter said, let's build tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And so no doubt when they came down off that mountaintop, the three of them had bragging rights against the other nine. The other nine who, according to the scripture, could not cast out a demon that was in a boy. And Jesus had to come and cast the demon out. So maybe they were posturing about which one was the greatest. And they're fighting amongst themselves. My, my, my. And then afterwards... After the fight between these church folk, it says that John said, Master, we saw some people casting out demons in your name. And we went to them and forbid them and told them that they can't do that because they're not with us. And Jesus had to say to John, the beloved disciple, John, leave those folks alone, as I paraphrase. If they're not against us, they're with us. So in other words, let's get away from sectarianism. That 
If you're not with us, you can't be with God. And Jesus is trying to let these guys know the kingdom is so much bigger than the 12. I have my people everywhere. I've authorized them even if you don't know who they are. Leave those folks alone. Put yourself in Jesus' sandals. Not only does he have to prepare himself to face this horrific death, but above all, the momentary separation that he will feel from his father, from all eternity that he's always had and enjoyed, but momentarily that fellowship, intimacy between him and the father will be broken. That's the cup that he had to drink. And he's preparing and contemplating, and his guys, a carnal, they're divided. <laughs> they're fleshly and foolish. And then when they find themselves in a Samaritan village, as we will expound upon today, one of them, John and James, says, because these Samaritans didn't want to accept you, Jesus, how about we blow the village up? How about we just kill them all because they didn't want you to be in their village. So, so, so this is what Jesus is dealing with, and this led him to say in verse 55, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Y'all want to kill people because they wouldn't lodge us. What spirit is that? You didn't learn that from me. <laughs> you didn't get that from me. And so you got it from somewhere or from someone because there are only two kinds of spirits in the world. There are only two kinds of spirits in the world. So when Jesus says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of, Jesus is like, that ain't from me. That's not my spirit. So there's another spirit working on the church. Two spirits. There's a holy spirit and there is an unclean spirit. Holy, unclean. There is a spirit of God and there is a spirit of Satan. There is an angelic spirit and there is a demonic spirit. There is a righteous spirit and there is an evil spirit. Just like with our country, there are only two parties, Democrat and Republican, and Jesus is saying there's only two spirits here of God or of the devil. And so when Jesus says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of, he's saying that you're not of a loving spirit that comes from a loving God, but you're of a murderous spirit that comes from somewhere else. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, for the thief has come to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have life more abundantly. So, so there are only two spirits going on here in the world. And on Tuesday evening, an unclean, satanic, demonic, evil, and murderous spirit 
came upon a radicalized white evangelical terrorist who killed eight image bearers of God. He killed them in cold blood in Atlanta. Six victims were women of Asian descent. And thus far, it has not been called a hate crime. Thus far, it has not been called an act predicated on racism. But I have a newsflash for you. For some people, not all people, but for some people, and especially for many, not all, but many white evangelicals, it's never about race. It's never about race. But learning from Jesus today, we're going to see that he dealt with a racist situation because this is a racist situation here in Luke 9. If you have eyes to see, race and racism are in the Bible, if you have eyes to see. And in this passage, Jesus is going to deal with a racist situation by dealing with the spirit behind it. Because we love to quote, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. So for every natural cause, there is a spiritual root that leads to the cause. And so we must know how to deal with things in the natural realm that affect us in a real way while not bypassing the root that occurs from a spiritual foundation. Because we must be people who are spiritual and practical. Some believers are too spiritual and they never get around to the practical. Some believers are too practical and they never get around to the spiritual. But we have to recognize that there is a blessed balance and Jesus shows us how they're going to deal with a situation in the natural realm by looking at what spirit is going on here and, 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 and leading his church to want to kill people. And so I want us to see three things today about that spirit. I want to see three things today about that spirit. Number one, let, let's recognize that spirit. You don't know what manner of spirit you are of. Let, let's recognize that spirit. And then secondly, let's rebuke that spirit. And then thirdly, let's remove ourselves from that spirit. I'm coming out the book. Amen. I'm coming out the book. This is Strong Tower Bible Church. So let's go. Let's go. Let's start with point number one. Recognize that spirit. The Greek word is pneuma, which means wind. And uh, Satan has spirits or wind. God has the spirit, the wind. We have to discern which wind we're dealing with, which spirit we're dealing with. First John says, beloved, test the spirits. For many false Christs have gone out into the world. You must test the spirits. We must discern. We must recognize so that we are not people who are led astray by every wind of doctrine. So that we can be sheep 
who are wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. We must test and recognize the spirits. So in verse 51, it says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that speaks of going to glory, going back to his father, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So you read it. The Samaritans didn't receive, accept, nor embrace our Lord as he was on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. They didn't accept him. Now, we need to realize that there is a history between Jews and Samaritans. We, we got to understand the history to really appreciate what's happening in this text. There is a 400-year history of animosity between these two people groups. So let's not be so spiritual that we don't understand that there is history between these two, and it's bad blood. It's bad blood. You see, the Bible lets us know that after the kingdom split, Israel was one kingdom of 12 tribes. But then after Solomon, the kingdom split into the north and the south. The southern kingdom was called Israel. The northern king, excuse me, Judah. The southern kingdom was called Judah and the northern kingdom was called Israel. Now, the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria, Samaria. But when the Assyrians came and punished the children of Israel in the north in 722 BC, they took many of them back to Assyria. And they also imported many other nations that they had conquered around the then known world at that time. They, they imported people back into the northern kingdom of Israel, i.e. Samaria. And for the few Jews who were left behind in the northern kingdom, they began to intermarry with the imported nations who were sent back by the king of Assyria into Samaria. And so there were mixed marriages that went on in Samaria. But not only that, there was this mixed religious atmosphere that was going on also in Samaria, where they held on to some of the teachings of Judaism, but not all of it. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible, and they only traced their lineage, the, the people in Samaria, back to Jacob and not all the way back to Abraham. And they built a temple in this area, Samaria, that rivaled the temple in the south in Jerusalem. So there was a splitting that went on, so much so that the Jews in the north in Galilee and down in the south in Judea, because Samaria was in the middle of these two areas, they called the people in Samaria unclean people, unclean, because they were mixed racially, they weren't purely Hebrew or Jewish, and they were mixed religiously, so they called them unclean. And not only that, they called the women who were in Samaria unclean dogs. 
And so Jews who were very pious would not walk through Samaria on their way from the north to the south and from the south to the north because they did not want Samaritan sand on their shoes, Samaritan dirt. On, so they would go all the way around up Transjordan to go around Samaria. And this went on for hundreds of years, so much so that when Nehemiah came to rebuild the wall, some of the people who opposed him were Samaritans. And so there's an animosity, there's a tension, but we have a savior who says in John chapter four, I have to go through Samaria. When everybody else went around, I gotta go through. And when everybody else calls a Samaritan woman an unclean dog, I have an appointment with her at Jacob's well to talk to her about living water and her need for salvation. He went through Samaria, thank God. And in John chapter four, I believe it's verse nine, it says that Jews and Samaritans have no dealings. They have no dealings. So there's a tension, which is why even after this experience, when the Samaritans reject Jesus in their village, the Lord has no hard feelings against them because over in chapter 15, he's going to give probably his most famous parable, which is the parable of the good Samaritan. And Jesus is going to say to his Hebrew people, if you really want to know what love is and how to love your neighbor, follow the example of this despised, unclean person called the Samaritan. So Jesus was intentional to deal with race in his day. Not just talk about it, but he walked about it. So here he is now, after the episode in John chapter 4, where a village came to Messiah Jesus. A village of Samaritans came to Messiah Jesus. And Jesus stayed the weekend there in Samaria in John chapter 4, but the disciples, they didn't stay with Jesus. They, they were like, we ain't ready to cross that bridge yet. You stay there by yourself with those people. We'll meet you in the next town. So Jesus didn't let bigots stop him from doing ministry. So he stays with them. But here in John, uh, Luke 9, there's another village. And they're like, I don't know what that other village in Samaria did, but we segregate and discriminate in this here village. And so what this says to me is that the Samaritans were wrong. Because they were saying, Jesus, we, we, we cool with you. But we're not cool with the place where you're going, where all them Jews live. Listen, uh, 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 if you want to be cool with us, stay here. But if you're going to keep on going there, then we can't receive you. And so, so, so they said, we, we're not going to serve you or give you a hotel room because we practice discrimination in this part of Samaria for Jews on their way to Jerusalem. And so they were wrong. They discriminated against Jesus. And so I have to ask the question, what, what, what spirit is this that's on these folks? It's a spirit of discrimination. They're discriminating against Jesus. So we got to recognize this spirit. And one way we recognize it is when you discriminate against people of other ethnic groups, that spirit isn't from God. Because God has always been about bringing all the families of the earth together. 
God has always been about from Genesis to Revelation, all the ethnic groups, all the nations in their various tongues and languages and cultures, worshiping God, the one who made them, their great creator. That's how God has been. He's always been inclusive. But when we act exclusive and when we segregate against people because of their skin color, their ethnicity, their language, what spirit is that? That ain't Jesus. Oh, uh, okay, 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 that ain't getting you. Well, James and John, they were wrong too. You've heard it. Just because you do wrong don't give me the right to do wrong. I'm not supposed to return evil for evil. But James and John were like, oh, 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 oh. Y'all don't want us up in here? <clears throat> Lord, may we command that fire come down from heaven and blow this place up because they won't receive you. And I'm here to let you know that they were just as wrong as the Samaritans, if not more. Because to whom much is given, much is required. These men have been walking with Jesus, the one who welcomes and embraces all people, for over three years. And they saw him minister to everybody, but yet these guys want to kill the Samaritans. And, and, and what you have here, James and John, the Bible says, in verse 54, when they saw the discrimination, James and John said, let's blow the place up. Which means that their nicknames in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, are rightly earned that these brothers were the sons of thunder. That means they could bring it. <laughs> that means these cats were a terrible tag team. That means these brothers had, 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 had short fuses and tempers, and they would lay hands on people. Sons of thunder. They were some angry brothers walking with the Lord. <laughs> and they're like, Lord, let, let's kill them all. Sons of thunder. Uh -huh. And what they were dealing with was not a spirit so much of racial discrimination, but a spirit of racial destruction. They wanted to destroy the discriminators. And Jesus said, what, what manner of spirit is that? That's not from me because the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save lives. So, so I don't know where you got that from, but you didn't get that from me. I don't care how much Old Testament Bible you try to quote to support your bias to kill people. Are uh, you not with me? Let me keep going. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. An unclean spirit was upon the Samaritans and on the Jews. It was on unbelievers, those Samaritans, and on the believers, the disciples. So an unclean spirit, a demonic spirit, can either rest in folk or on folk and influence how they think, talk, and act. The spiritual realm, the spiritual realm. You see, it's possible to walk with Jesus for three and a half years and still be influenced by demons. Oh, well, we don't want to hear this today. So if it wasn't the Holy Spirit, what spirit was it? It was an unclean, demonic, devilish spirit that was influencing two men who walked close with Jesus. The spirit wasn't in them. Obviously, the spirit was upon them, influencing how they talked and what they wanted to do by way of action. Uh, uh, you say, okay, pastor, I need more. Remember in Matthew 16, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And 
Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus went on to say, uh, flesh and blood didn't tell you that, Peter, but my father gave you that revelation and that insight. So the spirit of God gave you that insight about who his son is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, 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 And then Jesus said, but I got to go to Jerusalem and die. Peter then pulls Jesus aside and and rebukes him. And says, that can't happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus said, get behind me. Satan, because you have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. So he wasn't saying that Peter was Satan. He wasn't saying that Satan was in Peter. He was just saying that what Peter was talking, that didn't come from the father. That came from another realm. That came from the devil. Because the devil doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross because the cross is where Satan will be defeated once and for all and get a head blow. His skull will be crushed from Genesis chapter 3. He doesn't want the cross, which is why he tried to give Jesus the kingdoms and he tried to give Jesus all this stuff. If you'll just bow down before me. Jesus like, man, away from me, Satan. So Peter was speaking under satanic influence when he said things contrary to the gospel. And so if that can happen to Peter, that can happen to us. Well, we can say stuff that sound good but ain't right. And we test the spirit by the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we have more Christians who spend time in everything else but the Bible. And we're talking stuff that isn't right. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. So, so, so again, A Christian can be influenced by demons. It's possible to walk with Jesus for three and a half years and still subscribe to racism. Yeah. Let's go back to Peter again. Who, 10 years after the day of Pentecost, 10 years, God has to give him a special vision in Acts 10 to say, I want you to minister to those people who were once considered unclean. And I'm gonna give you a vision of food The food is an illustration that I've accepted the food and I've accepted the people. What what was once called unclean, they are now clean because of the gospel. And Peter was like, no, Lord, I'm not eating that food and I'm not ministering to those people. Wait a minute, I thought you walked with Jesus. Wait a minute, I thought you saw Jesus serve and love on everybody. Well, I'm still a committed kosher religious Jew. Uh, I'm not there yet because tradition dies hard. Prejudice dies hard. But he finally gets up and he goes to Cornelius' house. He gets in Cornelius' house and like, I don't really know why I'm here. Bruh, the Lord told you preach the gospel to all nations. The Lord told you go to all the world. What you mean you don't know why you're here? And then Cornelius says, well, let me tell you my vision. I had a dream. Da, 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 da. Peter says in Acts chapter 10, I believe it's verse 34, I now realize that God is no respecter of person. Time out, stop the press. Homie, you just now realize 10 years after Pentecost, you got the Holy Ghost, you're raising the dead, you're speaking in tongues, you're doing all this stuff, and you now realize, because God's dealing with that thing in your heart called bias and racism and classism, you get it now? Listen, I'd rather get it 10 years later than not get it at all. Hey, somebody help me out. We're all in process, right? So let's stop trying to act like we're further along than we really are. Let's try to act like that can never happen to us, which is why Jesus can only heal folk who admit they're sick 
But if you think you're well, he can't help you. And too many folk in the church don't want to admit that they're sick in this area of the kingdom. But I confess, Lord, I'm sick, Lord. Yes, I lead a multiracial church in the South. But last week when I was in Georgia and I saw Confederate flags everywhere, I wasn't thinking about how I can love my enemy, you know, you know on a first response. My first response was, they better not come over here. You know what I'm saying? So, 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 I'm still in process. Is anybody else still in process? It's still in process. But hang on, y'all. Hang on. Please stay with me. Don't go anywhere. Because it's possible to walk with Jesus for three and a half years and desire to murder people in the name of God. He wanted to murder people. But then it's possible to walk with Jesus and misuse the Bible to support your racial biases. Because they said, Lord, should we command that fire come down from heaven and consume them, blow them up just like Elijah did? So they're trying to be preachers who use the Bible. But just because you quote the Bible doesn't mean you're quoting the Bible accurately because the devil quoted scripture. So in 2 Kings chapter 1, Elijah did call down fire from heaven to kill the men who had been sent from the king of Israel. Yeah, he did it twice. And there's a reason behind all that, which we won't chase. But these guys are trying to cherry pick through the Old Testament and use that story in order to support where they were. Lord, Lord, just like Elijah was used to kill folk, can, can we kill these people? Man, you are misusing, misapplying. You are eisegeting that text. Man, man, uh uh-uh, y'all are wrong. You don't know what spirit you are of. You're off. You guys are off because I did not come to destroy lives. I came to save lives. So when you see this evil, racist spirit, don't minimize it. Don't deny it. Don't excuse it, and surely don't protect it. Recognize it when a sports broadcaster doesn't realize he's on a hot mic. And he sees high school girls kneeling in order to protest injustice and police brutality. And he doesn't know he's on a hot mic. But the overflow of the heart comes through the mouth, and he calls them N-words. And he's like, I hope they lose the game. And then when he gets called out for what he said that he didn't know was said in front of everybody, the broadcaster had the nerve to blame it on, not the alcohol, but on diabetes. Diabetes made me say that. Now, you gave commentary for the rest of the game. You didn't cuss, you didn't do it, but but, but during that part, your diabetes caused you to, 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 to say negative and horrible and racist things. So rather than taking responsibility, you deflect and you blame. Uh, we got to recognize that spirit. Recognize it when America believes the word of a white murderer in Atlanta when he says his crimes weren't about race. It was about a sex addiction. But then America turns around and rejects the word of a black woman Meghan Markle, in the royal palace when she says her mistreatment was because of race. Now, we don't believe you, 
but we believe this killer over here. We don't believe you, sis. No, it wasn't about race. We're going to tell black people or minority people, native people, what they ain't supposed to be feeling right now. Because that's what white supremacy does. I'm going to tell you what you should and should not be feeling. But then when a white man kills uh, six Asian women, no, he, he said it. It, was a, it wasn't about race. That's what he said. Since when do we start listening to the word of a killer? And his word, because of white male privilege, is more accepted than the word of a black woman who was behind palace walls. We don't believe her, but we believe him. So since he said it's not about race, move on. It's about a sex addiction. And sex addiction is real. But there are many people who have dealt with sexual addiction but didn't go on a killing spree. We've got to recognize that spirit. Recognize it when a heavenly armed white man is arrested near Vice President Kamala Harris's residence. Recognize it when politicians in Nashville fight to keep the bust of the KKK uh, Grand Wizard on display at the Capitol, even after it was voted properly in the political circles to have it moved. It was moved to the Historical Commission and they voted to have it removed. But then a group of men, white men, white politicians said, we don't care about the process. We're going to create a new process and we'll vote to impeach the governor if he continues to accept what was done lawfully and legally to remove the bust. Recognize that spirit. It's a bold spirit. So when I come along, I'm going to be just as bold, if not as bold, as that unclean, unrighteous spirit. You bold going to try to keep the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest in the Capitol building where black men and women got to walk by that bust every day? Man, put that thing in a museum. It was done lawfully and legally and you're still trying to stop the process? Recognize that spirit. Recognize it when politicians in Washington get more upset about brown people crossing the border than they do about white people breaching the Capitol. Recognize that spirit. Recognize that spirit. And they killed people. But again, it was minimized. Recognize that spirit. Secondly, after you recognize it, man, it's time to rebuke it. Anybody want to be like Jesus? If you're born again, you have no choice because the Holy Spirit is conforming you to his image. And one of the things that Jesus did was he rebuked people who were wrong. He rebuked people who were operating under an unclean spirit. Look at verse 55. But when he turned, but he turned rather, and rebuked them. He turned and he rebuked them. It came fresh off the presses of James and John's lips. So Jesus returned rebuke fresh off the presses of his lips. He didn't let him say it and get away with it. He didn't let him say it and not say anything about what they said. He didn't say, let me pray about it first. Now he's like, if y'all going to sin like this publicly, I'm going to rebuke you immediately and rebuke you publicly. 
Because I don't know what spirit that is, but it ain't from me. So I'm going to rebuke you. And to rebuke means to express sharp disapproval of someone's words or actions. Oh, my. We don't appreciate rebuke in this culture. Because we immediately think someone's judging our heart. We know someone is judging the fruit. And they're judging the actions that obviously spring from a heart. And since we're all fallen people who make mistakes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we're all candidates of being rebuked. None of us are above being rebuked, and none of us are beyond the need to rebuke others. Because when we rebuke people, that's proof that we love them. Because we love them too much to let them stay in ignorance. So we love them enough to tell them the truth, even if it's momentarily uncomfortable. But that's where a lot of us are like, no, I won't say anything. You can't raise kids well in this culture if you don't know how to rebuke your kids in the right way. And if you don't know how to rebuke, think about, man, let me try to rebuke someone the way I would want somebody to rebuke me. Let me go to them the way I would want somebody to come to me. Because unlike the Lord, we don't know everything. So when we go, we need to be humble. We need to be loving. And we need to be discerning and, and open because they may tell us that what we thought we heard or what we thought we saw was incorrect. But we still have responsibility to rebuke if we want to be like Jesus. Uh, Jesus, y'all, he rebuked his own disciples. He rebuked his own disciples. He rebuked his own church members. Uh-huh. And he rebuked his own people. He didn't rebuke the Samaritans because they represent unbelievers, if you will. I'm not rebuking them. They don't know what they're doing. But these guys that I've been training and mentoring and discipling for three and a half years, oh, I got to rebuke them. They're my disciples. They're my church folk. And they're my own people, Hebrews. They're my own people, Israelites. Listen to this. I think the world will be a better place. The church would certainly be a better place if we knew how to rebuke disciples, if we knew how to rebuke church people, and if we knew how to rebuke our own people ethnically. Because sometimes people uh, in your ethnic group will not hear rebuke from someone outside of your ethnic group. They need to hear the rebuke from somebody within their ethnic group. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to leave it to a Gentile to rebuke y'all. I'm not going to leave it to a Samaritan or an African to rebuke y'all. Me being an Israelite, I'm going to rebuke the Israelites. Oh, if we had more black people rebuking black people. If we had more white people rebuking white people. And not waiting for black people to do all the rebuking. Or, or native people or Latino people to rebuke. If we rebuked our own. Because we are our brother's keeper. All right, okay, all right. People don't like that. Let me keep on moving. Uh, 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 people would rather coddle the spirit of white supremacy instead of rebuking it. Rather coddle it. At the press conference last week in Atlanta, the police captain came forth and had the audacity to say that the killer that they apprehended without incident he wasn't roughed up at all, wasn't shot at. They, they, they apprehended a killer of eight people and then had the nerve to say the killer said he had a 
bad day. I wonder if he went on over there and just hugged him and held him. You know, he had a bad day. And at that point, he began to center the killer and minimize what he did and not even center the people who died or the families who are dealing with the laws. White male privilege won out again after killing eight people. When do you remember a press conference where they get out and say something about a black person had a bad day or, or a native person had a bad day? And Number one, I don't even remember too many opportunities, examples where blacks and Latino and native and Asian go on killing sprees. Yeah, it happened, but I don't think of too many. But, but we're seeing in this country more radicalized white evangelicals, white men with guns, more so than Muslims with guns killing. It happens. Pastor, oh, why you got to say all this? Because in order to correct this, we must confront this, and that is what rebuking is. You can't expect correction if you won't confront and call it out. Because back in the day, my people could barely call it out because they didn't have much power, and they would be killed, lynched, shot, abducted, but now, because of what they went through, man, I better use my voice in this pulpit, out of this pulpit, to speak the truth and to follow Jesus' example. He rebuked his own people. I want to be like Jesus. I hope I'm not by myself. And Jesus says, when he rebuked his guys, he said, let me remind y'all, I came to save lives, not destroy them. Lives. Notice what he didn't say. I'm going to preach this. He didn't say, I came to save souls. He said, I came to save lives. But the way I was brought up in evangelicalism, the emphasis was on soul winning, not life winning. But as I read the Bible, my research shows, and you show me where I'm wrong, you don't see Jesus saying he came to save souls. Jesus came to save people from their sin. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Nowhere does it say he came to save souls. But the church talks about souls. Why? Because I minister to your soul, but not care about your life. I give you this gospel that it gets you to heaven but we'll remain segregated. You remain in poverty. You remain sick. Uh, I'll remain well and doing good. But, but man, as long as you're going to heaven, so we soul win, but we don't life win. So Jesus put personhood in the Samaritans that his people wanted to kill. Those are people over there, not just souls. Because I can love your soul and not really care about your person. That's the way the church has been for hundreds of years. We could take native people and put them on these reservation camps and put them in these boarding schools in the name of giving them the gospel to get their soul right. But you didn't care about their life. And don't nobody want that kind of gospel. It's been preached for far too long. Goes back to the plantation. We'll give the slave enough Jesus to get him to heaven, but not enough Jesus to see the slave set free. 
Jesus said, I came to save lives. So black lives must matter to God. Asian lives must matter to God. White lives must matter to God. Because he saves the whole person. He doesn't just do it as a package like, let's take the soul out. I'll just save the soul. No, no, no. When I get to heaven, he's redeeming everything about me. My whole body, my life. So if I'm ministering down here, I should be ministering that way to the whole person and not just the soul of a person. Oh, my. Let, 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 let me get uh, uh. Jesus cares about the Asian souls. And the other two, one being Caucasian, the other being Latino. He cares about those precious lives who were died and wounded on Tuesday. He cares about the rise in Asian American and Pacific Islander hate crimes. Because when that chief came out and said that this man had a bad day, they dug deeper into the chief or the commander's record and saw that he had put disparaging comments up on his Facebook page against Asian people. And he sounded like the former president when he talked about Kung flu in China and the virus and blaming Asians. So this is a man who's supposed to be impartial. This is the man who's supposed to protect and serve, but on his Facebook page, and they deleted, but we got receipts. You said. So why do we expect you to get up and give an objective statement when you feel pretty much the same way about these people that the murderer does? And so we've got to deal with this, that Jesus cares even if no one else cares. And let me say their names of the deceased. Soon Chung Park, age 74. Yoon Jung Grant, age 51. Soon Cha Kim, age 69. Young I Yu, age 63. Delina Ashley Yon, age 33. Paul Andre Michaels, age 54. Zhao Tan, age 49. And Dao Zhu Fang, age 44. And then Alicias Hernandez Ortiz was wounded but is alive. We must say their names because their lives matter. So I join my Asian American brothers and sisters in Christ in rebuking the spirits of racial discrimination and racial destruction that are coming against people of Asian descent. So Raymond Chang, I stand with you. Soon Chung Ra, I stand with you. Duke Kwan, I stand with you. Sarah Shin, I stand with you. Eugene Cho, I stand with you. Sam Wan, I stand with you. You are not alone. And for the ignorant black people who come along and say, well, pastor, why are we speaking up for Asian lives? When have they spoken up for us? What spirit is that? What spirit is that? We speak up because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We speak up because these are image bearers of God. And by the way, stop broad brushing the entire community because of your prejudice. Because if you look, uh, Asian people have marched for black lives in their countries, in their cities, all around the world. And so now it's our time to stand up with them and for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man, let me move on to my final point. Let me sit down. We got to remove ourselves from that spirit. After we recognize it and rebuke it, we got to remove ourselves from it. 
Look at verse 56 as I end this. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. They went to another, they've removed themselves from that spirit that was upon the Samaritans. Spirit of discrimination. Now there's a time to stay and fight properly and peacefully and to protest. But then there's also a time to shake the dust off and move on. Jesus shows us that when facing real racial discrimination, we need to know when to walk away. They walked away. And recently, several black pastors have left the Southern Baptist Convention because of their renunciation of critical race theory and their silence on white supremacy. So many black pastors says, I'm done, I'm through because I'm not being valued within this denomination. I'm done trying to teach people who don't want to learn. I'm done with my voice not being heard and my beliefs not being magnified with other folks. I'm done. Recently, Beth Moore realized it was time for her to leave the Southern Baptist Convention as well. Because as she spoke out against the immorality of former President Trump, and as she spoke out against policies that hurt certain people groups, and as she spoke out against racism, she was attacked over and over and over again by these men in power. And she said, that's enough. I'm canceling my book contract that's here in Nashville with the Baptist Press and Association. I'm done. And she walked away. And there is an exodus occurring where people are leaving. People of color are leaving white churches. And people of color are even leaving, quote unquote, multiracial churches because they hardly ever hear these churches address the nasty here and now from the scriptures. They're leaving. And if you're suffering in silence in a white church or in a multiracial church, and you feel like what you're going through is not being expressed, spoken of, prayed over, it may be time for you to leave that church. Now, some people think when you leave a church, you leave Jesus. If you're part of a church that believes that, you really do need to leave that church. But it's time to shake the dust off and go. If you don't hear a word spoken from the pulpit after the whole world is talking about these things and you go to church and the pulpit is silent and they stay right on with their sermon series as if none of this is going on, it's time for you to leave that church. I had another sermon for this morning. But after seeing what I saw, I'm like, I can't come in there and preach that because we need a rhema right now word. If you are at a church where there's little to no racial discipleship, it might be time for you to leave that church. If our unity requires my silence about racial injustice, it's time to leave. If us being unified means that I got to be silent, my dignity and my worth in God cost too much for me to keep remaining silent, to keep you comfortable. It's time to go. So what's the point today? We're in a time where we must not only ask what kind of spirit is this that we're facing, but we've also got to recognize it, rebuke it, 
and when necessary, remove ourselves from it. Some of us are called to fight within institutions as minorities. We're not called to leave. Everybody's not called to leave. Some of us are called to stay and fight and teach and lead within. But for others of us, it's time to go. So, Pastor, man, this is a tough word you gave us, man. Well, let me end on a high note. Let me, let me end with the hope of the gospel. Let me end with the hope of the gospel. We talk about recognizing that spirit, rebuking that spirit, removing from that spirit. But what about repenting from that spirit? Because in this text, y'all, John is the one that has the most problems. He's the one that said, Lord, tell him to stop casting out demons over there. And then John is like with his brother, let's blow this place up. Let's drop the bomb on him before the Gap Band said it. Lord, drop the bomb on him. So John, John, John. I said that this is a process of discipleship, walking with God, our racial awareness, our social awareness. There's a process. And God, Jesus is so good. Please hear me. John messed up right here. But a little bit later, Jesus is going to say to John, hey, man, I want you and Peter and James Come pray with me. Because Jesus doesn't hold our sins against us. Jesus knows we fail, but that doesn't make us a failure in his sight. Come on, pray with me. Matter of fact, while I'm on the cross, hey, John, you didn't want to blow up the Samaritans. Would you take care of my mother? Grace. That's grace. Because Jesus knows we're in process. And then the Bible says in the book of Acts, Chapter 8, that Samaria had received the gospel. That place received the gospel. Acts 4, 8, 14 says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. You see how God works? The guy that wanted to blow up the place, God said, I'm sending you back to the place. Because your heart has changed. Verse 15, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for as yet, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now there are some instances in Acts where people get the Holy Spirit immediately. Then there's some instances where people get the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. There was no one way in the early formation of the church that the Holy Spirit came upon people. But I have to believe that God did it this way. Not only that the Samaritans may receive the Holy Spirit, but also that the apostles might also grow in their relationship of ministering cross-culturally. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wouldn't come until the apostles, John and Peter, came. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't come upon them until Peter and John put their hands on those people. Those people that they once despised. Those people that they once hated. Those people that they once wanted to kill. But their heart had changed because they repented. And now the Holy Spirit is going to work on them and through them so that the Samaritans can receive the grace of God. So now we ask from Acts chapter 8, what spirit was upon John? The Holy Spirit was upon John. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit will be upon us. You say, Pastor, tell me a little bit more. 
Well, let me tell you something. John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. When you read the gospel of John, he's always at the breast of Christ. He's always doing loving things. He don't like to tell you that he was a son of thunder and wanted to blow folk up. That's why we got the gospel of Luke telling the truth about John. Because again, we don't like to always talk about where we messed up. But God says, let, let me show you how messed up he was. So that you can see how wonderful he became after he repented to give hope to the rest of us. You don't have to remain a bigot or a racist all your life. You can grow. Because this same guy wrote as I close in John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He says now in verse 20 and 21, If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. So he went from hating people to loving people because Christ transformed his heart. I pray that for us. I pray that we'll draw a circle and say, Lord, may revival start in this circle. Let it begin in me. Help me to love. Help me to forgive. Help me to embrace. Help me to do what even my own parents have not done. Help me, God, to go further in Christ. Break the traditions that are upon me, that are upon my people, and help me be a follower of Jesus because I'm putting my hands to the plow. I'm not looking back. I'm going forward in his name, and I'm going to do the things that he did, and I'm going to say the things that he said, and I'm going to love the people that he loves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Oh, we need it. We pray again for our Asian brothers and sisters who are mourning today. I pray that in churches, there's lamentation in churches today where they occupy. I pray that today it's not business as usual. I pray that in houses of God, just as we've stood with our Israelite brothers and sisters, our Hebrew brothers and sisters, when their synagogues have been shot up, as we've stood with people in our communities whose mosques have been destroyed, we stand, Lord, with our Asian brothers and sisters in their grief right now. And Lord, might I be so bold as to close this prayer saying, yes, we need to stop Asian hate, but we also need to stop the spirit of white supremacy. It is destructive and it is deadly. And if we're resisting those words, it just might speak to the fact that we just haven't had our now moment yet, our, our awakening yet. But I'm so glad you're a gracious God. You put up with us. And even when we awaken, we still haven't arrived. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. May the people remember the word of God today and not anything that I said that was contrary to it. Lord, I pray you produce fruit in all of us in keeping with repentance. May the world know, may the church know that we're your disciples by the love we show for one another. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen.